You're listening to the We're Not Fine podcast with Doug Jensen and Dr. Talia Jackson. Doug and Greg, have you missed us as much as we've missed you? Oh, it's been seconds, but it feels like years. You're so warm and positive, Talia. <laughs> Despite all that you talk about with not staying in contact with your long distance friends, you Just are so my truth. I love it. It's gorgeous. So here's what I want to know. Yeah. How? Are you recovering from your state fair experience? For those of you listening, a lovely, lovely BFF of mine contacted me earlier last week and said, I have tickets to the Styx and Ario Speedwagon concert at the fair. And who could not go to that? So... Needless to say, I'm like, absolutely. And one of the things that's tough for me, and I'm curious how it is for you, Talia, like when I work long days, so I work Monday through Thursday. My office hours are Monday through Thursday. I work really long days. And there's such a difficulty transitioning. And I usually go to martial arts on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but I thought I'm going to leave that one alone. And I'm going to go to Styx and Ario Speedwagon because frankly, two of my favorite bands from growing up for sure. Right? I didn't know. Holy smokes. Mr. Roboto, come on. Um, and even, yeah, I could go on and on about both of those. But, you know, the thing that I was struck by is, so we're, we're having fun. Two other adorable, adorable friends came with. We had so much fun. I'm entirely inappropriate when I go out. Um, what does that mean? Um, I'd like to know more about that. What is inappropriate when you go out? It like, means, you, you know, the people who were serving us the beverages, I said, take off your aprons your and come sit with us and have fun. Um, so like sexual harassment vibes. It, uh, I'm, I'm hoping it's not harassment. <laughs> it's, it's more like welcoming a crowd, right? Oh, but I'll tell you probably. Tomato, tomato. Tomato, tomato. And in this case, blueberry ciders. There was this amazing drink. And I think it was a blueberry cider. I think I had five or six of them. And by the time I left, I was singing a lot of songs out loud. We got pushed away from by security. <laughs> but needless... What? Oh, yeah. Well, because... Are there videos of this? I feel like I need some good blackmail material. Did I send you one video of a dude who, like, put his arm around me and started talk, started, started singing Ario Speedwagon with me? That was a good one. I might have He's kind of a I... mini-me. He almost looks like me. He has a shaved head and goatee. And we were just having the best time. So we, we had a, such a good time. But I'll tell you something, and I'm not going to reveal my age... But boy, recovery from that was a little difficult. <laughs> I woke up on Friday and I'm like, oh, I don't feel great. No. And I think it's the cider, by the way. I'm a, I'm a hard liquor person when I drink. Like, I love a cocktail. I love an old-fashioned. I love a Manhattan. Um, I have a buddy who bartends, and he is so good at, at making drinks that I always, always love. But I, I really had a tough time. Do you go to the State Fair? You know, I will say that I am a little curmudgeonly around the state fair because when <laughs> I picture the state fair, it is like a zoo of so many people. And I do not love 
the crowds and I don't love standing in line for deep fried pickles or corn on the cob or corn on the cob. But I do feel like if I can get into the right headspace, there's so much fun to be had there. I love baby animals. I love ice cream. I'll tell you know. also. I could. I could learn to enjoy I think it. you could. I think it's, I think you could enjoy. We always have to find what it is that it, uh, appeals to us, right? The other significant part about the State Fair for me is I was a 4-H'er growing up. And of I course. won a ribbon that took me to the State Fair on my model rocketry. So every time I go to the State Fair, I lived there for that week. Like there was a week of judging where if you if you get reserve or grand champion, you get to go live there and get judged at the state level. So I lived at the State Fair for a week. And every time I look at that building, I'm like, yeah, I was probably 16 or 15. But I love I love that energy. I don't always go every year, I'll admit. And I am incredibly, incredibly grateful for the Sticks and Ario Speedwagon. Like I thought, I don't think I paid anything. One of my friends actually came back with a t-shirt for me. So I switched out my t-shirt and I was wearing one of the sticks uh, t-shirts. It was such a good time. I had a really, really great time. So nice. there are things that you have to find. There you go. Do you, do you know what I do love much more than the state fair is the Renaissance festival. <laughs> that is something that I can get behind. Like, okay. I, I think walk right. around with a turkey leg, like nobody's business. And like gnaw off the turkey leg and like watch people throw knives at each other. That's like that's my jam. Greg, okay. you trying to cut us off? Yeah, he was a, a little bit, a little bit. It's time. It's time <laughs> to get into our, our questions for the day. I can't wait. Do you want to talk? Let's about do it. Turkey legs. <laughs> Unless that's the topic that somebody's writing in about. I don't know. No, that's not the topic for today. So let's get let's get into the topic for today. Let's do it. All right, give it to us. I've known my wife for over 20 years. She has always been tall and petite. She has had a rough 12 months. She was sick for four months before getting uh, her gallbladder removed and had COVID a month later. This has really affected her stamina and she's not been very active as a, as a consequence. This resulted in her adding 20-ish pounds to the scale and she's only 150 at you know 5'10". She still looks skinny, and I know it really bothers her having more of a tummy and a bigger butt. I'm still extremely attracted to her and think she is as sexy as ever. But between sickness and, and the fallout with COVID, our physical relationship has suffered. How do I communicate this to her without her rolling her eyes or making a joke or not taking me seriously. Even when I've been trying to be sensitive and honest with her, she plays it off. Like you have to say that because I'm, because we're married. I usually end up mad after a while. We joke a lot and have a good time, but I don't know how to get her to understand th these are my true feelings and it's not a joke. I'm sad to hear this actually, because you know what you're describing and, and I, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is that as you describe yourself as still attracted to her, um, your, your, your being turned on by her has not changed at all. That genuineness is going to carry you through this. So stay present with it. Do not get frustrated. The real issue is, you know, her own experience of self-concept and self-esteem. And so I'm very sad that she's kind of in that space where she's not feeling at her best, et cetera. And the question is, how can you support her to feel like her health and her experience is the best it can be and what support does she need from you 
Um, I'll tell you honestly, if this was an issue that came to me in my office setting, I would probably encourage you to give her some names of therapists to work through this and figure out, you know, what is going on internally for her to have her doubt. Because the strain that this puts on your relationship in trying to convince her that you feel the way you do, like she's not hearing you. And that's the, that's the serious issue that comes up for me about this. Um, I'm not going to minimize 20 pounds and what that means to somebody's identity or comfort level with their body. Um, and I think there's a lot of different factors there, including gallbladders and dietary stuff as a re result of that organ uh, being removed, et cetera. And I always focus on health versus size, right? Because size is really an irrelevant issue in many ways. Really, her health is what I'm most concerned about. But I think in terms of that, there's probably on her end a desire to to put some roadblocks on that physical relationship because she's not feeling good about herself. And I think the important part is that she does that work to figure out that piece because everything you're doing to convince her is not happening. So she might need a referral to a professional to kind of deal with what that internalized negativity is about. I agree with everything that you just said per usual. That's not unusual. <laughs> and I just have to say that I think I can speak for women everywhere and just say, you are so wonderful that you are making her feel to the best of your ability, beautiful, lovable, attractive, and that your attraction has not changed for her. It seems definitely to be 100% about her own not feeling sexy in her own body, um, which is, we would really hope a journey that she can start to learn how to love herself and adjust to whatever's happening for her physically. Because it, I mean, one wonderful thing is you are not negatively impacting her sense of self at all or her self-esteem. And that is just beautiful. Your marriage is going to thrive because you will be by her side showing her love and that she's beautiful and attractive as is. It is her work to figure out how she feels sexy, how she feels good in her body, how she can learn how to find herself still beautiful, even though she isn't the same size, the same shape as she once was. It's all about us feeling good in our body and our brain and our own experience. And I think, I don't know, Doug, I'm curious to know, and Greg too, I'm curious to know what you think. As you know, identifying as being male, do you feel like you can drop everything and have sex no matter how you're feeling in your own experience? Or is there this piece that's like, well, I'm not feeling very cute or I'm not feeling very sexual or I'm not feeling very sexy because I was thinking that was much more of a woman so, experience. So I want to make two comments about that. Um, I think it actually is significant that I'm male, but also, and Greg, I'll be curious if you care to share your experience. Um, I will also say, though, as a gay male, um, not to generalize too quickly, but uh, the gay community has been very materially and superficially oriented 
um, in general. And I think, you know, I could go long, long ways into this, but to just say that I think because of oppression, we, we generally internalize that negativity. And so we find ways to cope and compensate for that by looking good on the outside or working out or whatever it is. So when I, when I think about self-esteem and I think about body image and whatnot, and one of the things that I, I love about my community is that we talk about different types, like otters and bears and cubs and oh my. Um, so there's a lot of ways that we identify, but I'm going to have a lot of questions about that. Yeah, in future that's episodes. a, that's a whole episode someday. Um, I'd like you to like draw pictures and, you know, do some sort of interpretation. I'm going to send them to you on out. text, um, <laughs> so that we stay in contact when I move to Sweden. Okay. Um, I just want to say, you know, the, I have a little bit of a worry here. So I don't, first, first of all, I don't think that's a male versus female issue. I think men equally need to feel in, in their zone in order to feel sexual. Um, and I do think everyone's different. So I, I just don't like generalizing much about gender or anything else in that regard. But my, uh, my uh, red flag in this might be that if she does not kind of figure out what's at the core of her self-esteem or negative self-image, it really can wear on a relationship long time because you can't be this cheerleader forever of like, you look great, I'm still you know, attracted to you, you're still beautiful. All of that is really, really great. But until she can say thank you and really accept that compliment, the relationship is going to be strained. And again, without that physical relationship, my concern will be about duration and how long that goes on um, and, and where your resentment will start to build that, you know, her self-esteem is in the way of you getting what you need in that relationship. So I have a little bit of wanting to get serious about um, how, how important it is for her to deal with this as soon as possible so it doesn't linger. Because that lingering sort of strain for the two of you, you can't be her cheerleader forever and, and get what you need from the relationship. That's what I ultimately think. Greg, did you want to share your experience? Wow. Because I am really curious. Do you think Not on the spot at all. Male, female? I don't, I don't think it's a male, female thing. I mean, I, I know friends of all walks of life that... Um, in gender identity that, that, um, you know, when it's kind of like that old adage, if, if you're not comfortable with yourself and you're not feeling good about yourself, you may not be prepared to be open to dating or be open to another person. Right. So same thing here where, you know, she's struggling clearly, um, you know, she may not be able to, until she deals with that, you know, on her own, um, and and that's hard because he is very understanding of that, but that's yeah. also not his burden. I mean, it's his burden. It's his situation, but that's not something he can fix until someone wants to, to you know, manage that. So I have I have a friend um, who I feel like he was sort of speaking for. I mean, what I would say it's really I'm glad that we're talking about the male versus female because I was feeling like possibly he was speaking, you know, for every man. But he was talking about his experience being in love with his wife. She's had, you know, been pregnant twice, had two babies, not feeling comfortable in her own skin in the way that her body has changed and he still found her just as beautiful, just as sexy as ever. Yeah. And I remember him saying, I don't know what to do because now the way she feels about her body has become my problem. 
Of course. I'm not getting my needs met because of the way she's feeling about herself. And I think she looks amazing and she's the mother of my children. And I love that. And that's even sexier. But I think that that's the problem is like, when does your bad self-esteem, self-image become a relationship problem? And I would say it always does. Yeah. You know, if you're on a date at the the very first onset um, of your experience dating somebody and they are self-deprecating or they're negative about themselves or they put themselves down, um, I'm just going to go to the concept that confidence is an aphrodisiac. Confidence is attractive in relationships. And so when somebody is putting themselves down or negative about themselves or feels inferior somehow, it's not a it's not a, an attractive element. We're not drawn to that as people. So I, I, I'm finding this, you know, to be a relevant conversation. It's always, I'm going to answer that question, you know, where does it become a relationship issue? It's every time. I, I'm I laughing. A... I, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ty. No, no, no. You go, you go. Are you I, I'm, la- I'm, la- I'm laughing because I went on a date in the not too recent history where they said, I'm going to be single forever. <laughs> That you are? That's so encouraging, right? They they said they're going to be single forever. I thought, oh, okay. Well, that's... Now that you made that declaration, why are you on this date? That's good to know. Yeah, Greg, I think we need an episode on all your dates and where they've gone well, where they haven't... uh, I don't know. Because, you know, dating is such a big concept. I can't wait to talk more about dating and how to do that. But Greg, you know, you're right. Like this person tells you I'm going to be single forever. Like what a roadblock that is. Like put it right there in the road. We're not going anywhere. And of course, I don't think he meant it because I think he was just probably afraid. Um, But yeah, not not attractive. And that's why, you know, the, the goal is for all of us to feel like we're the best we can be in this life before entering a relationship and knowing that things happen, right? Like there are all kinds of things that come into play. We do age, we, we change, you know, I've lost my hair, obviously, at some point in my life. I was really young, by the way. But, you know, there are things we can change and there are things that we can't. So what I, what I think might be helpful for, I don't know, maybe the couple, maybe your wife is listening, maybe every person who can resonate with the wife is listening. But one thing to think about when we are not feeling good in our body and we are not feeling sexy, one thing that we can do is think about the intersection between feeling sexual and feeling sensual. Because if we're not feeling sensual, we can't feel sexual. So one thing that we can think about is getting in touch with our sensuality, which means all of our senses. Can we feel comfortable and fall in love with our bodies as sensual beings? So is there something really beautiful about taking a big, deep breath of fresh air, smelling something that is one of your favorite scents, warm water. Listening to music. Yes. Right? Exactly. All of your senses. Can you start to appreciate your body, not its shape or its the way that you look in a bikini or whatever that is, but can you appreciate it as just a sensual being that it feels good to be in your body? 
And as soon as you can take a couple of minutes every day to just be in your body and appreciate your beautiful body as just this magical extension of your soul, you do start to connect to your sexuality in a different way. If you can start loving your body regardless of your measurements and you can carry yourself with a different kind of confidence and a different kind of self-esteem, just what Doug said it is, it's an aphrodisiac. People will think that you are gorgeous just because of the way that you're exuding confidence and joy. What a lovely, um, I guess, segue into like this unconditional self-love approach, which is what you're talking about. And however we can get there, it's important. And I, I will say, you know, we're talking about body image and body concept, and that's a very complicated issue based on how our culture and our society over the course of these decades that all of us have been alive, you know, how it is that those have changed over time and how that encourages people to be a certain way or to have some negative self-image or shame. One of the uh, things that came up for me as you just said that was a book that I brought, uh, I bought for both of my kids as they were growing up called It's Perfectly Normal. And it was a book about uh, all kinds of different things about sexuality and about how our bodies change. And I've recommended it to a lot of clients because it's an easy way to bring up topics that are typically difficult to bring up with their kids. But I realize every single kid that I know has turned it to one page and it shows both men and women uh, it's it's made in a cartoon uh, form, and there's a page that has every type of body, every type of, like, people in wheelchairs, people who are amputees, I think, all of the different different ways, maybe not the amputee thing, but I know there's a person in a wheelchair. Um, but it shows different body types, and everyone's always been fascinated by that particular open page because it shows that you can be anything and be attractive and love yourself and regard yourself and be a sexual human being, which we all are, regardless of age, regardless of body type, regardless mm. of sexuality and gender. So... I feel like we need to see that reflected everywhere. We need to see all of these bodies in a really beautiful way. And that will not be on Instagram and TikTok where we are only seeing the Jenners and Kardashians everywhere we look. And that is not what most people people look like and so how do we find ourselves to be beautiful sensual sexual when we are not necessarily seeing that reflected out there in the world necessarily no i agree with that entirely and i realize you know one of the things that i so love about our friendship and our collegial relationship talia is that we can go off on so many different topics in so many directions but are you saying that i've been talking too long no (laughs) I am saying that we're probably not addressing the person who wrote in anymore. (laughs) And what I would say, you know, just to bring it back a little bit, I would say that, again, let your wife know, let your spouse know that despite your continued attraction, by all means, you know, she has to figure out based on everything that we've been talking about, what she needs to do in order to feel better about herself and get herself Mm -hmm. back on track. And, you know, the truth of the matter is if she was more active before these surgical proceedings, getting back into some activity can be a really monumental change. And once that, once that's regularly back in place, that self-image might change dramatically. But if that's not enough, if she's, she's not able to do that on her own, it really is appropriate as we're going to recommend, I think oftentimes to seek out a professional to really deal 
with some some of that challenge. Our best to you. My wife and I have been together since 2009. We've had an amazing 12 years to get together. Our younger years were filled with adventures and wildness, both in the bedroom and outside the bedroom as well. I was 23 when I met her and had dated a good handful of other women. Uh, but until my wife, none of them had ever felt like my person the way she did and still does. For the first nine years together, I felt loved and in return felt confident I'm our relationship in our relationship and never worried about a thing. This feeling of love being easy allowed me to be the loving, trusting person that she de she deserves. We made three beautiful children together and she is an amazing mother to them. And I'm grateful for that every day. Somewhere along the way, my wife started to feel overwhelmed and lost, which is completely valid when you have three little girls from age three to eight needing things and clinging to her all day, every day while I go to work. When I get home from work, she had nothing left in her to show me the affection I crave. I'll never abandon them, but I spend my days longing for her to hug me and seem excited to see me when I get home. I long for her to want to cuddle when the kids go to sleep, and I also long for a sexual connection that has been missing for a while. About a year and a half ago, we were talking about this, and she had the idea to bring another girl into our bedroom while the kids were at my mom's to make things new and exciting. I know not everyone understands how that would help my situation, but for a while it did until we failed rule one of threesomes and spent way too much time with her. This eventually almost ended our marriage. My wife got con convinced I had feelings for our friend, and my wife slept with another guy out of anger and feeling Ooh. lost. Okay. I never would have known if it were not for the fact that my wife felt guilty and she told me about it. Somehow we worked through all of that, ended our adventures with other people, and had an amazing year together. The past few months... She is feeling depressed again, and I need to be there for her. I'm having a hard time because I feel a lot of parallel emotions to the gut feeling I had last time. My anxiety is making it worse as I keep asking her if we are okay. This time is way different, and I trust and know that she isn't cheating, but I get so deep in my head about the thought of losing her that I act weird and depressed all the time and constantly ask her what's wrong. How do I give her the space and keep my sanity. I don't want to be the guy that trips several times a week, causing her to be even more depressed. I want to be there for her. She's not only the mother of my children, but she is literally my best friend, and she de deserves support through this round of depression without me stressing her out. Mm, I know this story. I mean, I have met so many people that have been in similar situations, people that have been married for decades, people trying to breathe some new life into their relationship to open it up. I feel, I feel like, I don't know about you, Doug. I feel like I could talk about this for six years. I and could, there are so many different points <laughs> that I want to address. So the first is, even before you opened your relationship, I, I want to talk about that experience that you felt so secure and so adored and so loved and you were getting your needs met in that relationship. Then you had three beautiful children and you said that your wife was overwhelmed and lost. I feel like that is a very common experience for so many women after they have had children 
their identity completely changes. They are no longer this footloose and fancy free, young, no responsibility. I think you were talking about like the youth and the adventure and all of this. And then now she's overwhelmed and lost and you're not getting your needs met because she is consumed with other people's needs. They're her touch needs are probably completely maxed out. So at the end of the day, when you're coming home from work, craving connection, attention, and affection, we have to acknowledge that she might have maxed out at 9 a.m. on all of those things and has no interest in more communication, connection, sexual affection, and Having to worry about your spouse's wants and needs when you're drowning in your own experience is really a tough dynamic. So that might be the, the first thing. I'm trying not to drone on and on about it. The second thing is, all right, you guys decided to open up your relationship. I, that's an interesting conversation. I want to know how that came about. What were you hoping for? Were you on the same page when you said you broke rule number three, rule number one? Did you guys make up those rules? How did you figure that out? I mean, and I also, I have no agenda here because 50% of marriages or more that are completely monogamous, they don't work. I think that it's possible that the same amount of open relationships work and don't work. So monogamy, polyamory, people who are, you know, opening up their relationships. I think that we all have an equal shot of things working or not working. Um, and so, yeah, I'd be really curious to know more about that. And it sounds like it did work for a short time and it breathed some life into things. And then you weren't successfully able to navigate the changing dynamic. It sounds like you have some trauma, some like PTSD around what that felt like to be insecure about your wife going rogue in her own meeting of her own needs. And I'm also not sure, did she do that? Was that revenge? Was she wanting to get back at you? Like I have, I've got more questions about that. Um, Doug, I'm dying to know. What do you, what do you think about all of this? Uh, boy, I want to, I want to make a really huge general statement about this and that I think your communication is not great in your marriage. Um, and I'm going to go all different places with that. Um, I think right now, you know, as you were kind of wrapping up your question to us, you, you almost talked about walking on eggshells. You didn't know quite how to get through the weeks or the dialogues without triggering something negative in your relationship. And the reason why she even went outside of whatever agreement you had, which I want to go back to as well about this open relationship, because I'm not sure I heard that it was working. I don't know. I don't know the sequence of events. I think, Talia, you asked the right question about that. Like, what was the sequence of events that got you to that place where one of you said, let's open this up, let's add some spice? That is entirely reasonable. And yet I think negotiating that and communicating about what that looks like and what the boundaries are. One of the pieces that in my open relationships that I work with in my practice, oh my Lord, people have to really, really be clear to avoid hurt, to avoid misunderstanding. And there's clearly something that didn't work there because she went outside of that relationship when she felt threatened somehow by adding this woman. So I don't know that she really agreed. I don't know that this was a desperate attempt 
to make you happy because she didn't feel like she was, uh, I guess, giving you what you needing what you needed uh, in your physical relationship. There's something missing there that did not work, in my opinion. Um, but this walking on eggshells, like you need to be able to let her know in that serious way when you two have a moment and you're not taking care of the three kids and you're not stressed by work or whatnot, you need to carve out space to really check in on this and, and let her know how you're experiencing the relationship, where it is, as, as we're going to kind of re reiterate probably over and over and over, you need to let her know what's not working for you so that she, she has a, res a chance to respond. Talia, you know, you zeroed in so nicely on this issue of what it means for her as a woman to have taken on this role with three kids. Like, I want to know everything about what she wants from her life. Like, at this junction, um, and I, I joke with my, uh, my older daughter, who is a filmmaker in Hollywood, um, I joke with her about, like, you need to write a script about marriages that last 10 years. Because I swear that 10-year decade mark is really critical for a lot of relationships. And I joke about this, uh, you know, show where people can decide without any fault or foul. Like, you get to either continue or you need to not continue. And you get to, you know, leave that without all this legal bullshit that we put people through um, in terms of divorce, etc. You know, the reality is, I don't know that this, this, this wife of yours, she might need to really take a moment and think about what will give her some satisfaction in this life so that she's happier and she's healthier and she's, you know, fulfilling her dreams and goals. So I feel like, again, my biggest comment might be, aside from the fact that I think you need to make sure you're negotiating that open relationship as well as you can, um, I, I'm worried about the trust that has been broken by this betrayal and whether or not that's really been processed. Um, and I have a three-prong approach to affairs that I work with. That's an oftentimes uh, presenting issue that couples have. I always say it requires a, a really sincere apology. It requires that the person who went outside of the relationship and has, to use your word, cheated, um, that person needs to really understand why they did what they did and take responsibility for it. And then the third step is to never do it again. So whatever that takes to get through those three things. Um, and I'm not so sure, and maybe that's happened because this vignette in this this presenting issue does not present exactly that detail. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'm curious if that's happened because that's the only way that I think you can move forward and feel like you have trust. Because it kind of sounds like, again, you're, you're walking around on these eggshells, not sure if she's going to cheat or not. That's not a question you should have to live with. And that trauma and that insecure attachment is going to be what destroys the rest of your marriage more so than even the affair. And it's really hard to call, I mean, it's hard to call it an affair when you've opened the relationship. However, it sounds like there was a contract in place yeah. that yeah. this is something that the two of you are going to be doing together. Um, no, that's exactly right, Talia. I think you just hit it on the head. Like, if their contract was we were going to offer this woman a place in our bedroom, the guy was not inside that contract. So I think that's why he's referring to it as cheating, right? Um, right. And I, I, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Keep going. No, I, I mean, I love the idea that you were bringing up, Doug, about the 10-year mark, which is, I think there is something really important about that. But maybe the bottom line is, we're all growing and changing. And when you are getting married and putting rings on each other's finger and saying like, this is a decision that I'm making at 25 years old for the next 70 years, 
that isn't going to work, right? right? We're all growing and changing. It yep. is a dynamic, not a static situation. So there needs to be incredible communication. And I would agree that the communication with couples that decide to open up their relationship has to be even better it does. than I agree. the relationship that it is monogamous because navigating those feelings that is crucial. We have no idea how we're actually going to feel in the moment when we see our partner with somebody else. We might have a fantasy if we've seen a movie or porn or other people's <laughs> relationships or whatever it is. We might have something in our heads about, ooh, I am going to be really turned on by seeing this scenario and that situation. And you don't actually know how it's going to feel. And it sounds like you are haunted by these images and you are haunted by the idea that she went rogue or she felt more pleasure someone else than she, somewhere else than she felt with you or that it's going to happen again. There was some sort of a trust that was broken, but also the security was broken. Here's what I also think about adding a person to your sexual relationship. I think there is not a chance that that person doesn't have a stronger connection to one of you over the other. Oh, and yeah. I think it becomes a complicated issue. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've worked with couples where they've tried the openness to their relationship. And one of them is sitting on the edge of the bed, kind of sobbing while the other two are enjoying the physical contact. And it creates a really big harmful situation. And it always goes back to making sure that you've negotiated that and you've agreed to it and you've made the compromises that you're willing to do. But Talia, one of the things you brought up that's really, really critically important is that we don't know necessarily. And so if it's something that you try out and you're like, oh, that was a disaster. I can't do it. There's no way I can do this. You really just have to back up and say, not going to happen again. I can't do that again. It was not good for me. I'm, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm not able to move past it. So give me some time to heal, but I agreed to it, you know, and you can't kind of right. go back and get mad at somebody for what you already agreed to do, but you may not know until you try it. What doesn't work. Good luck. Yes. Good luck. You can do this. For Don't sure. forget all that you've been through together. It sounds like you've created something so beautiful. You pivoted in a direction that didn't work, but that doesn't mean that this isn't something that's salvageable. If your wife can understand that when she went rogue, a lot of damage happened at that time, then it is possible to move through this painful part in your marriage. Have a question for Doug or Talia? Email us your questions at questions at we'renotfine.com. Eligible questions will be randomly selected for upcoming episodes. For details, visit our website at we'renotfine.com. Join us every Tuesday for new conversations, new challenging topics, and fun.